Blog Talk Radio. of the Old Dominion Libertarian Radio Network for the new year of 2017. Happy New Year, everyone. This is Joe and Rufty. I'm here with Jeffrey Sanford and uh, Jeff Klebb and Andy Craig are going to join us momentarily. So how are you tonight, Jeffrey? How's it going? Happy New Year, Joe. It's going great. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, Just a few short days and we will be... um, watching the swearing-in of uh, Donald J. Trump. Do you think there's going to be a lot of uh, stuff going on at the inauguration? Well, you know, of course you're going to have some of these hardcore um, Democrat protests going on. I'm actually thinking of going to one myself. There's a thing in Congo Square in New Orleans that's put on by some friends of mine who are 
Democrats and uh, who just think that the world's coming to an end with Trump. Um, and it's interesting to try to figure out whether what really is coming to an end with Trump or not, you know, and why why people think that and why we, you know, what, what, where should, what should we do right now? How should we feel, you know, because and, 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 and what's coming next? I think it's just a huge sense of anticipation for the pro-Trumpsters and sense of uh, impending doom for the, you know, the hardcore Democrats, not, not necessarily the Clinton Democrats, but more the Bernie Sanders, the real, uh, the true Democrats, you know, and uh, it's just a, mm-hmm. it's a fascinating time, I think, to be a, to be a, uh, a libertarian, because we're sort of out here totally separate from these two groups in terms of our philosophy uh, as to what government should be. You know, these both of these these parties, you know, the Democrats, they, they both think government should be something, and we think government should be not. Nothing. I mean, it should not even be there. It's close to it as possible. Absolutely. Right. So it's just. I think it's. I think it's just a fascinating time, and uh, I'm. I've got. I'm more on the sense of anticipation side of it, and I'm and I'm reading articles though that you know that seem to be. Anytime you read the articles, you got to read it. You know, we had this conversation years ago, Joe. Who can we trust in the media? You got anybody you can trust in the media? Like when when they when they have a story pop up from this one place, you don't even have to read it. You just repost the headlines there. You just because you know it's solid or wrong. <laughs> got any of them? Eat one? Can you name one? Um, it's awful hard. I can't you know, think it, of one. It, you know, um, and people are probably going to um to get me for this, but you know. The other day, everybody was talking about, oh, RT News has, has been taken off the air. That's Obama's retaliation. Um, he said he was going to retaliate, and that's what he did. He took RT News off the air. Well, it was back up shortly thereafter. I never lost it here on my streaming TV. But everybody was talking about how it's Russian propaganda and it's this. And I watch RT News all the time, and I watch it, as as Jeff Klebb would say, you know, um, with one eye open, you know, sleep with one eye open. But, you know, I don't, I I think that, I think that RT news is more honest than air news is. And, um, you know, everybody, and and one thing I will say is that everybody talks about um, the guy that was on MSNBC and now he's with um, RT, Ed Schultz, special ed. Um, you know, they they always talk about, oh, well, he's a lefty, he's a liberal. Well, he delivers the news at 8 o'clock on RT. And a lot of times, he's very open-minded about things, and he keeps telling people over and over again that, you know, Trump may be bad, Trump may be good, we need to wait and see, and, you know, we 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 can't jump to conclusions. And I don't hear people saying that from any other media source. Now, my personal opinion is I know what Trump said on the campaign trail, and over half of it he's backtracked on, and that concerns me because, you know, 
mainly it concerns me. I kind of figured he was going to do that. But what concerns me the most is all the people that supported him are acting like that's no big deal. Well, he's still well, better Joe, than Hillary. Let me, let me throw something in there at you, okay? Now, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm happy about the, the actual issues he's backtracking on, though. Don't you feel well, like you know, he's backtracking on the right issues? I mean, okay, yeah. You got to appeal to you know these this 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 furious mass of, of voters out there to, to get them motivated, but he's backtracking on, on his specific issues of backtracking, building a wall and so forth, uh, are are good or I think solid libertarian moves in the right direction. I mean, not near what we would want to see, but I mean, they're in the right direction and. Um, and so, but I think what's more concerning to me right now, other than the mainstream media apparently being entirely bought, sold, and owned by the Chinese and the Saudi Arabians, is that uh, is the uh, idea that Congress is going to come in there and enact some huge strong Republican reforms. I mean, this guy didn't run on strong Republican reforms. I mean, it's like he won, so all these Republicans – I can't wait to see what Congress is going to do, I guess is what I'm trying to say, because the, the, the word is it's going to be just a huge conservative revolution in there, and that's not what Trump's all about necessarily. No. It's not. Well, Jeff Clev- oh, yeah, I know. I know. Well, Jeff Clev just joined the program. Jeff, welcome. Hey, good evening. Good evening. Hey, Jeffrey, happy new year. Hey, happy new year to you guys, too. Uh, we were just oh, discussing... Uh, <laughs> you you missed their discussion of, of Donald Trump and things to come in 2017, but it's all good. Um, we're going to keep it's plugging away. It's the state of the libertarian nation. Yes. It's the state of the libertarian nation. That's what we're trying to figure out here. There you go. So our our guest tonight is uh, Corey Fauconnier, who is uh, running in the uh, ninth district here for the Virginia State Senate. He's running against uh, Jennifer McClellan, uh, who I have met, and uh, I know a lot about her, and I'm um, hoping she doesn't win this upcoming election because um, she's been a detriment to this state since she got into politics. And uh, I can say those things because uh, I'm not her opponent. And there's a lot of things I can say about her because I'm not running against her uh, that I wouldn't say if I was. <laughs> but uh, Corey is here to talk about his campaign this evening and uh, what he hopes to do. The special election is January the 10th. Uh, that's Tuesday. And uh, so we're going to bring Corey on now and get him to uh, fill us in on all the details. Good evening, Corey. How are you? Good evening, Joe. Happy New Year to you, gentlemen. How are you? Good evening. Hey, Corey. Corey. Happy New Year. Congratulations on Thank the run. You very Thank much. you for running. Uh, you know, I, I, I said to, to folks before, I would have been remiss in my duties as a libertarian if I did not take this opportunity to try to spread liberty in my section of the state. So I, I definitely wanted to give it a try and just express to people why liberty issues are important and give folks the, the pills so they can join us down a rabbit hole 
and take a look at things for how they, they really are, not based on what mainstream media tries to tell us. Amen. So happy to have you uh, join the ranks of those of us who have actually run for an office as a third party or a libertarian. It's it's one of the most, I think it's the most valiant thing you can really do to put yourself out there like that. I know you ran a campaign before. Have you ever run before? I have not run before, so this is my first shot. And I, I spent a couple of days thinking about it because it wasn't something that I planned to do, but just in my, I guess, nonprofit and community service life, you always try to prepare yourself for the next thing that comes down the turnpike. And I knew that we really had a limited amount of time to get signatures. I talked to my wife. I talked to some of the members in leadership in the Libertarian Party, and I just got up one morning and just decided to give it a shot. Uh, we have some very dedicated volunteers that assisted me in my ballot petition. And the people at the State Board of Elections were really surprised that we came in with 400 signatures. They didn't expect us to pull it together as quickly as we did, and they did not expect us to get the type of signatures that we did. So it was a group of libertarian volunteers and, and some non-libertarian volunteers that came out with us, you know, door knocking and just expressing what liberty meant to us. And I think for me, overcoming some Democrats and Republicans, I just told them the story about ballot access. I said, you know, you don't you don't have to vote for me, but just give me the right to have my name on the ballot to express some of the things that are important to people who may not find a home in either of the existing major parties, and and that was something that really worked. People were like, well, I don't think I'm going to vote for you, Corey, but I do feel like you and the Libertarian Party should be able to have folks on the ballot. So let me let me help you and your party by signing this petition and letting the State Board of Elections and the Commonwealth of Virginia know that there needs to be a choice. What's the most important issue that you think, uh, you know, you want to bring out for the people of Virginia in your district? What, what, what's the most important single issue? I think for me the most important single issue is school choice, as I have teenagers in Henrico County Public Schools at Highland Springs High School. I think that education needs to be placed back in the hands of the parents and the educators and not the state bureaucracy. And I think we as the parents, along with the educators, should make the best plan for our kids, for their education. And I think that's not something that we currently have, and I think that's something that needs to change. And I've spent the last several years of my life mentoring in the public school system, both in Richmond and now working with some groups out here in Henrico where we want to bring you know, vocational education and some different things to the table because maybe not everybody wants to go to college. So maybe we need to have something that young people can do in order to prepare themselves for the type of employment or maybe even entrepreneurship to get them, you know, over that hump. So I think education and school choice is the most important aspect of my my campaign at this time okay yeah that's that's a, yeah it's great it's stuff now the 
question, I guess, is is how does your feelings about this educational reform you want to see happen jive with uh, the role of the state in providing public education to everybody? To who? And can can you give us any kind of a sort of a philosophical idea about uh, the the importance of public education? I think that it needs to be opened up so there's some type of competition because right now the 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 monopoly is held by the state or you know you may have some private education that you can get but for us that can't afford private education we just have public education they make it very difficult for you to to, to homeschool and that's something that for me as a parent I feel like I need to control because I know my kids better than the, the, the bureaucratic folks that work for the public school system. I'm the one that can go and sit down with them and say, okay, my child is not the type of child that's going to sit for 90 minutes and read a book. My child is the type of learner who needs to have some type of hands-on relative education where he or she can see what this education is going to bring him in the future, just sitting down reading a book for 90 minutes in English class, that's not going to stimulate my child. And I think that basically having school choice and having different options available for us as parents is, is the best way, and that's not something that I think we have enough of. Well, that's great. Okay. That's- yeah, my son's uh, in uh, in a public school too, and I'm I'm blessed because it's a, it's a bilingual school, so he has a lot of challenges trying to learn this other language as he's going through it. And you know, I, I'm so appreciative of the opportunity of being able to, you know, to to have a great school for him to be in. And once you see that, you just hate to see people trapped in schools that are terrible. And uh, right. that's, that's that's the problem. Is you see some poor people are have their kids in terrible schools, and and it's it's a huge issue. So I mean, I I, I applaud you for taking that on. Um, Thank you. Any any issues about state funding? How is the budget in Virginia down here? We're like, we're facing a five hundred million dollars shortfall again for the third year in a row. I guess. Uh, we're facing these huge budget shortfalls. How, how does that feel like, uh, you know, something that you're going to tackle in the state Senate of uh, Virginia? Is it, do y'all have budget issues? And uh, we, any, any we, advice? We, we, we've had budget issues. So I'm recently moved from one side of the district to the other. So I was in Richmond. Now I'm in Henrico County. One of the, the major stories of 2016, every year is a budget crisis. And, I think for me as as a libertarian activist and as a community activist, the problem is that taxes don't change. You know, the whole amount that we pay into the system never changes. But at the end of every year, we go into every year saying that there is a deficit. And, you know, oh, you know, like you said in the beginning of the show, the end of the world is coming and we don't have enough money and the people are – providing the the tax revenue into the coffers of, of the government. And every year, the deficit gets worse and worse. I don't know about anybody else. In my house, you know, I've been unemployed or underemployed, and if you have less money coming in, 
you either have to tighten your belt or you have to do something else drastic so that you would be able to, to get by day to day. So every single year, regardless of what jurisdiction or what school system our kids go to, there's always a budget shortfall, and it's always the end-of-the-world crisis where we all go into the school board meetings and we go into the city council meetings or the board of supervisors meetings if you're in the outlying counties, and they say, hey, guys, you know what? We just don't have enough money, and something's on the chopping block. If there was some type of choice where we can try to do some other things, that may help alleviate the issue. But every budget year, we can't keep coming to the table saying there's a budget crisis and things need to be slashed. And, you know, it's like the government's not living within a budget. We as taxpayers and as, as parents and as as um, citizens of the United States and Virginia, wherever we live, we have to live within a budget. The government's got to do the same thing. We can't just be – they can't spend our money carelessly, and that's what always happens. And we as the people never have a say in, well, let's look at – what. why don't we look at what government agency we don't need? And why don't we just decide, eh, hey, we don't really need that. Let's kind of get rid of that. Let's downsize that because we need to live within our budget. And we as the taxpayers do it every day, live within a budget. So the government has got to learn to live within a budget, and we need more, I guess, free-thinking folks to get into office in the first place to kind of tell the story about how we can look at some other options to make change. Because currently what's been happening is not working, and we can all agree that it's not working, whether it's Trump now and the next four years we decide to vote back in the Democrat, we just keep bouncing back and forth between bad and worse, and nothing ever gets done progressive for the people. Well, they never run out of money. They can just print more. They can just borrow more. I think that's the main part of the problem, that they think they can just print more. At some point in time, what we know as the current system is, is going to come to an end. It's going to come crashing down, whether we decide to change it to prevent the crash or whether folks are going to sit around and just watch it crash. Well, at least in Virginia, <laughs> they have to balance the budget. We can't run endless deficits like they do in Washington. Correct. Do you, do you all have yes. a problem with a lot of boards, like a regulatory boards? Here in Louisiana, we have a board that regulates the contractors, a board that regulates the doctors, a board that regulates the nurses, a board that regulates the cosmetologists. All the and the governor appoints the leaders to all these boards. Do you all have that kind of a problem over there? Regulatory boards that uh, oh, we have them. We have them. Is there any kind of ideas for uh, regulatory reform uh, out there, Corey, that you're looking at? The the one thing that I can recall is um, from from the 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 Loza campaign, they were talking about how like hospitals get formed and the different ways that they kind of try to regulate what gets introduced to a specific area and. That's something that also needs to be reformed so that 
you can get the type of health care that you need in your community instead of having to get the authorization from some board that is appointed by the governor. If people need health care, and once again, basically introducing um, a bunch of organizations or a bunch of companies that can come in and provide what the people need. If healthcare is what the people need, it shouldn't be a monopoly on healthcare. We should be able to introduce as much to bring the necessary amount of competition. That's going to help drive the cost down because there's going to be more competition and people are going to get the services that they so richly deserve. Well, Corey, don't you know that monopolies are only good if they're government monopolies? They're only bad if they're private. I mean, like, well, my first one I would get rid of, I would get rid of the state liquor monopoly. I would get rid of that. I would sell off that and privatize that uh, immediately, sell the, sell the rights off to private companies, and that way you wouldn't need the ABC except for they would have a small role in enforcement and collecting taxes. That would be it. There's no reason the state should be in the business of warehousing, distributing, and marketing and retailing liquor. That should be something for the private sector only. That would be a good start. Yeah, that's that's smart. In Louisiana, the private companies do it. I mean, we have an ABC board, Alcohol Beverage Control Board, that that regulates them. But, I mean, it's a private corporation that gets to sell it, you know. And it's sort of limited. If you haven't been in a business from the very beginning, it seems like, you don't really have the liquor distributors are, are few. There's not a bunch of companies doing it, but I think uh, there are more, more and more over time. But that's a good idea. What about speaking of health? What about cannabis deregulation over there, decriminalization? Where do y'all stand in Virginia right now? What does that look like? The, the cannabis, the cannabis deregulation. I know there were some bills that were introduced for not decriminalization more so more so like having to do with like farming hemp and things of that nature. And being that Virginia that's a that's a very that's one of the questions I have. Being that Virginia controls the, the, the liquor sales here, if they decided to, you know, incorporate the the sale of marijuana here, I would assume that the state would, would control that, and I'm sure that the tax base would then go up like it has in various other states that have decided to either legalize or decriminalize uh, marijuana. So I'm not really sure why the state hasn't decided to do that, but that that introduces me to one of the things that uh, one of my endorsers, uh, Tom Garrett. Um, said when I met him last year when I was lobbying with the, um, the Libertarian Party and the, uh, the Richmond Crusade for Voters. He said, you know, I know Libertarians would like to legalize and decriminalize. and We can't do that right now. So one of the things that he proposed in one of his bills was to increase the amount of marijuana you need to be caught with in order to um, get a felony. And I think what I've been learning as I've been going back and forth to the General Assembly lobbying and talking to our elected officials, sometimes you have to take baby steps. And I think a lot of times folks feel defeated when you take a baby step because it may take several cycles for you to pass the bill in its entirety the way that you want it it to be. Um, I recently went to an event with the VCDL, uh, which is one of the, the, the gun groups 
here, Second Amendment groups here, and they said some of the bills that they had to introduce happened several times, several cycles, several years in that way in order for them to get the bill that they needed to pass several years down the line. I see that over yeah. the last few years. It, it takes it takes years to get a bill passed. It, it really honestly does. And you have to have laser-like focus on a bill to uh, to make it go through there. And, and that's one of the frustrating parts about trying to work in a legislative assembly. I mean, it's like as a libertarian, I want to see massive sweeping libertarian change. And I've like, I've been trying to dream up a bill where if we could just get, if we could get a, a legislation that would say all legislation must be interpreted in a, in a, the way that creates the most freedom and liberty for everybody. So if we have any bill out there, the court should interpret it in a manner in which allows more people the maximum freedom, the most people the maximum freedom that could possibly give us. So what do you think about a bill like that, man? Could we, could we get anything like that? It might help some of the people. I mean, uh, like an omnibus I, I, liberty bill. I, I think I think that what, to me, what the main issue is, is the fact that people have not yet understood how we need to embrace liberty. And I'm gonna give I'm gonna give an example. I've been I've been here in Henrico since September. Since September, I've had two break-ins and my car was stolen, and I've now established this rapport with the community police officers and you know I'm talking to them and I'm like you know I know you guys have a difficult job I know that you're trying to effectively police my community but there seems to be a disconnect between you and the people so since I'm new and I'm objective how can I help you guys effectively police because when I call them they come and I feel that the Henrico County Police, and from my interaction with Richmond Police, they're very respectful. This is not the NYPD. It's not the L. It's not the LAPD. I feel like they respond. They treat me with respect when they come, regardless if I'm right or wrong. I feel respected. I don't get what other people get when they encounter the police, and I believe in Second Amendment rights. I've been to the range several times. I've taken my family members to the range. We do not own a firearm at this time. We will shortly, and we will be, you know, working with maybe folks from the NRA and the VCDL to make an educated gun purchase. But my neighbors are like, well, Corey, we don't think you should have a gun. Well, my neighbor watched the person break in my house, and he didn't call the police, and my wife was home during one of the break-ins, and my wife was home by herself. So my question to my neighbor is, if you choose not to have a firearm, that's, your, that's, your, that's you speaking about your liberty issue. But in my house, I will have a firearm, I will have a protective dog, and I will have whatever else I need in order to protect myself. If you don't want to be protected and you want to wait for the police to get here in 10 or 12 minutes, that's your business. And unfortunately, I think the disconnect with liberty is that folks, don't want you know Joe. Joe listens to a different type of music than I do. He's free to do that because that's what he enjoys. I shouldn't force my taste in music on Joe. I can sit down with him and say, "This is what I listen to," and Joe can listen to it for a few minutes and say, "You know, Corey, I don't really like that. I like this." <laughs> and we should be able to learn from each other. And the problem right now is that 
we're not learning from each other. We're not open-minded enough to embrace the differences that make this a melting pot and say, you know, I've looked at liberty issues as I'm knocking on doors and handing out lit, and I, hey, I'm Corey Folkney. I'm running for Virginia State Senate. These are some of my platform issues. Some of the people slammed the door in my face, and that's, that was their choice. Some of them had no solicitation signs on their door, and they didn't want to talk to me, and they had the door open. I saw them sitting in the house, and I knocked on the door, and they didn't want to open the door. That's, that's their right. But we have to have a healthy exchange of information and ideas, and that's why I feel things don't work on the Hill here in Richmond on the Hill there in Washington, D.C., or wherever you guys are, city and states you guys are calling from, because you have the Republicans on one side, you have the Democrats on the other side, and a lot of times nobody wants to kind of meet center table. And the only way we're going to learn how to live together, because we're all different. We're different colors, different sexual preferences, different economic, um, economic base. We're just different. There's certain things that bring us together, and if we're in a libertarian party and there are liberty issues, decriminalization, or, or different things of that, we may not agree on all ten things. We may ab- agree on three of the ten things. Let's work on the three things first and try to get the three things passed. Let's try to make, you know, a change. And then we can go work on the other seven things that we think are wrong, but maybe – the, the group of us don't agree with everything, and we may have to work harder to pass that legislation or bill or reduce the government size because we don't all see it in the same perspective. And there's nothing wrong with that. But the difficulty for all of us is the fact that, you know, it's the Jerry Springer show. We're throwing furniture and throwing punches, and, and, and that's not a, a conducive way to make change. <laughs> Absolutely. Did the uh, the, uh, endorsement of the Richmond Times Dispatch for Gary Johnson increase maybe opportunities for libertarians in Virginia? Did it? Is it? Does it? Does it? Is it a good thing? Do you think we're gonna you gonna be able to make a little bit of extra inroad with that endorsement? Did that help us? I, I think that I think that it allows for people to look at the party in a different light. I think it's important for the mainstream media to embrace liberty, but that's what also makes shows like this and, you know, my show talks over drinks. That's what makes our shows important because we, we're telling the story of liberty because we're living it. We're, we're walking the walk. We're helping our candidates try to get elected and get on the ballot and sending donations to assist. We're all walking the walk. And sometimes you have to you have to do that in order to get it done. I'm, I was very I was very I was very surprised, but I was happy that the Richmond Times Dispatch endorsed Governor Johnson. And and for, honestly, for myself, the Richmond Times Dispatch has covered a lot of some of the things that I've done in the community. So I feel like the Richmond Times Dispatch is kind of open to telling the story of of our party and of people who are trying to do things to help in their community. I think they're very open. They respond. They're on social media. You can get your op-ed letters printed. So I feel like that, that newspaper is trying to spread 
the actual news and give everybody a chance to get their story to be heard. So I think that's very important. I think it's, it's yeah. definitely important for, for candidates to have good good media relations like that. And I wanted to ask you um, about another angle that I, I'm, I'm very happy about your race about this because I think this is something the party needs to focus on strategically, and that's the fact that it is a two-way race. Um, you know, you're running against a Democrat well, with no Republican in the race, and that in and of itself uh, gets attention. I mean, when you're, there's a, when the media is trying to cover an election and there's only two candidates, well, there's only one story to talk about. Um, right. And so I, I think, uh, I, and in particular with this being a special election that allows the party to focus not just in Virginia, but you can bring in some national support from libertarians elsewhere in the country that don't have an election going on right now, might not have one for another two or four years. Um you know, that this uh, is the kind of race I want to see the party going forward uh, do more of. I agree. I think that, you know, like I was saying, I was looking at Facebook posts today. So if if a state party has 10,000 people liking the page, if each person just sent $1, like the power of a dollar, if each person sent one dollar, that's ten thousand dollars. That that can go a long way in the budget of of a libertarian candidate. It's it's so Absolutely. much that can be done. It, it, I mean, I, it's, I, the thing the thing that I think our party needs to realize is it we have the volunteer base, and that's not. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's our problem. I think our problem is the money base. Like it, it, the only way we're yep. gonna fight and and run and win is with money. We we need you need money for the social media. You need money for the Google ads. You need money for the T-shirts and the lit. And you 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 just need it. And it's it's we can be ingenious in how we decide to run our race, but there's got to be some finance. So for 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 all of you guys that are listening to the show. Um, if if you have the ability, even if you send five dollars, just send something. Because if you can't give of your time, definitely give of your money and, and support that those candidates. And there are not many of us running right now because this is kind of an off cycle and an off time. Definitely send what you can. Send send help share Facebook posts. You know, share them with your families and friends. Talk to them about the liberty issues that are close and dear to your heart and why. You know the Libertarian Party is is making a stand, and and the different things that we're trying to do, to you know bring liberty to everybody, regardless if we all agree or we all disagree. I think we all have a right to uh, voice our opinion and, and talk about the things that are important. Speaking of which, Corey, you got a little rap for us? Wow, you know what? I um I did get in it because. I think music kind of brings people together and it, it's a, it's a, it's a talking point to kind of discuss things. And, and I've, I've being as that I'm a musician, I'm, I'm never afraid to get up in front of and talk to people, but it just kind of like, um, it kind of brings people together. So that's why I've spent so much time trying to make music for Liberty 
And uh, that's one of the things that I want to start to get together as, as fundraising for some of the other campaigns that are getting started to be kicked kicked out in 2017 and 18. We need to start trying to, you know, have musicians help spread the um, spread spread liberty. All right, well that's great. Right. Give us some. <laughs> he put me on the spot. Let's see. <laughs> Come on, you can do it. Wow. Are we going to make Joe pull out uh, his trumpet too? Yeah, so yeah, I know. I Joe, we, Joe and I need to do a. We need to do a song together. I, I just, that, that, I, I feel like, I, I feel like, see, I want to see Corey and the Royal Virginians. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that would be great. Um, I, I Corey, I'm not. To come out and try that. Yeah, um, I, I want to talk to you about your um, opponent for just a minute because I, I don't think a lot of the people um, on this show know about her or they've seen her on the ballot and they, they don't really know what she does. Cause I walked her entire district in the fall of 2015 with Steve M. Holt and I talked to people and a majority of the people um, did not like her, but they, they didn't like her not because she's a, bad person they just felt like she wasn't doing anything and the only ones that had anything positive to say about her were the ones who go down the line and click democrat all the way they don't care who it is you know you I'm, go to the I'm, door I'm and a, knock I'm, and, I'm, and i'm gonna say this to you and it's very funny think that i went to the vcdl meeting the other day last week and there was a gentleman there that had no knows me from the community and he was a media person for, for one of the local news stations. And he was probably the only Democrat there. And after everything was said and done and they talked to me, they let me talk. And, I, and you know, and afterwards it was a group of Republicans and myself. And they're like, you know, Corey, we, you know, we think you speak well. We think you, you introduce your, your, your um, topics very well. You're, you're well-spoken. You're well-dressed. You're well-groomed. You 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 have you have the full package, and you appeal to more than just your people. You appeal across the board. And the gentleman was like, "Yeah, Corey, I know you." And I shook his hand, gave him a business card, and he was like, "Yeah, I've seen you at at my news station before with some of your public relations clients, you know." But I know you, but I know her. And I said, "So I said that's great." I said, "Do me a favor, give me three reasons why you want to vote." For the delegates, I said, "Shoot, go ahead." And he's like, "Well, she's great on education. I have kids." And I said, "Well, you know what? I have kids too." And I said, "What you know? What school are your kids going to? Because my kid's school isn't that great." And then when I started really talking to him about why I felt public education was not right for my kids, and I felt like I was held hostage by the public education system. He just kind of like walked out the room real fast. He didn't even give me the other two reasons why he voted for her. I think Joe's correct. People are unhappy, but there's no alternative. And a lot of me running was giving people an alternative. And I didn't know people in my neighborhood I'm new. And every door I knocked on in my subdivision, folks were like, I have a, I have a multi-poo named Eva, and she wears a, a pink sweatsuit. 
And every door I knocked on, they were like, you're that guy that walks the dog with the pink sweatsuit. And they were like, you take very good <laughs> care of your dog, sir. They said, you, you, you pick up the poop. You don't leave the poop in the grass. You pick up the poop. And if there's a bigger dog that comes out, you pick your dog up and you talk to the other dog owner and, you know, you have a whole conversation. But we see that you, you, you respect your community by cleaning up, and we, we see that you love your animal. And we think that that's a positive trait for somebody that's looking to run for office. So people, I think, with regard to the, the dissatisfaction that Joe's talking about, look at some of the bills that she's passed. And in the last session, she had 41 bills. 20 of those 41 bills were, like, commemorative bills. Let's, let's remember Joe and Rufty for his work on the Old Dominion Radio broadcast. That's not really... <laughs> That's not really value added for my community. That's not doing something for school choice. That's not doing something for crime. It, so you're not really doing anything. So I know you. You know, we all know McDonald's. We know McDonald's is not good for us. So how long are we going to take the political McDonald's over, you know, something farm fresh or something homemade. You you have to make a stand somewhere. I, I know the delegate. I've met with her several times. I've told her about some of my issues. I don't get the help. McEachin didn't help me. Bobby Scott didn't help me. And and for me, especially as an African American, at one time this this district was gerrymandered in favor of white Republicans. And and African Americans were like, that's wrong. Went to the federal government. The federal government re-gerrymandered the district. Now it's 55% African American. And and I'm 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 going to be critical of my own people for a second. If it was wrong for white Republicans to, to run the district and for nobody else to get in, it's equally as wrong for African American Democrats to run the district because you got the Libertarian Party, you got the Independent Green, and you got the Tea Party. We all want to get in, and we all want to have a chance, but we can't get a chance. And that's what's disturbing. So to me, I feel like my own people have not realized the error in our ways, and the Green Party, Libertarian Party, and the Tea Party should all be able to run candidates, and we shouldn't have to get ballot access and jump through hoops and get all these signatures. Let's just all get on the ballot. Let's all recognize our party. And let's all work for the change that we want to see in our community. I don't think any of the Democrats in any of the districts that are here, I know a lot in my community, because my, my, besides education, my main issue is crime. And if I, I'm living amongst my people and I'm working diligently to improve my people's standing in this community, but if I got to deal with people stealing my car, and, and, and breaking into my house, I'd rather you knock on the door and tell me you need something and I'll give it to you. There's no need to steal it from me. I don't feel like I'm respected in my own community. And I have African Americans who are in office who should feel that they should do the best for their constituents. I can't just vote for you because you're a Democrat and you're black. That's not enough for me. What are you going to do value added? to bring liberty to me and my family and the people in this community. And by Delegate McClellan running at this point, she's going to leave if she wins. Say she wins. 
she's going to leave her current district unrepresented. And that's horrible because those people need representation too. But I feel like she's just a career politician. She saw another opportunity, and she took the opportunity. She's not in it for explain the people. That. She's explain, not in it. explain that, Corey. What, what do you mean by that? If she wins, she's going to leave some out and represent What's that mean? I don't understand. So, what, so what, what, she's, curr- she's currently in the 71st House of Delegates District, which is mostly part of Richmond and a little section of Henrico County. Because it's a special election and there's not enough time to fill the seat, her seat is going to remain vacant, and the people of her current delegate district will not have representation in the House this this session. So they're going to go unrepresented. That, that, is if she, that, that would be if she beats you in the special election, which we hope she doesn't do, correct? That's correct. It's a, it's a terrible choice either way, because otherwise you get stuck with this person who doesn't even care enough about her own district. To resign mm-hmm. her seat before she moves to the next one. So you, you know, apparently she's a terrible, terrible uh, candidate. Well, but it, it one, also, one thing I go ahead, Corey. Go ahead, Joe. No, you can go ahead. Okay. Well, I was just going to say that um, I attended several, um, uh, probably three or four. Um, uh, What's the name of the group that um, Crusade for Voters? I attended about three or four of their uh, candidate forums. Uh, two of them, I know she was in attendance for, um, and uh, at, at one of them, she just basically her her line on everything was, "If you think it's bad now, it would be even worse if I wasn't there." If you think it's bad now, it would be even worse if I wasn't there. I mean, she just kept saying that over and over again, and every once in a while she would make a comment about we did this or we did that. And, you know, I have talked to Republicans who are in office who have told me, and they've told this to other people, so it's not a secret, but they don't want her getting out of office because she gives them whatever they want. She, you know, they go to her and say, we want you to vote this way or we want you to vote that way. She says, fine, whatever you want. And then she goes to the crusade for voters and says, if you think it's bad now, it would be so much worse if I wasn't in office. And, you know, know, why she can do that, the reason why she can do that and because the crusade for voters is not doing their homework. Pull, pull a bill. Look at the vote. Pull a bill. Let's look. Let's look at it. You can't take it for face value. You got to kick the car tires. You got to look under the hood. You got to test drive it. You got to talk about financing. You got to talk about cost of ownership. You're not just going to go into the dealership and buy the first thing you to get. She's been there. She, everybody knows her. Yes, we can get in touch with her. Yeah, I speak to her legislative aide. But what is she doing differently? to make my existence better. Why should I call Henrico home right now? I'm, I'm in the community. I'm mentoring in the public school systems. I've been doing it. All the Democrats know me. I had Democrats, oh, you're doing uh, concerned black men, Corey, that's great. You know, some of the Democrats helped me get volunteers. Yeah, all oh, that's great. But I'm saying no Democrat that I know, and these people know me. 
Not one Democrat has said, Corey, will endorse you because we know you do good work. I'm doing good work as long as I mentor kids in the public school system. I do good work as long as I do a community cleanup in my neighborhood. I do good work as long as I, you know, hire good employees from, for the company that I work for. But Tom Garrett is the only person. He was the first endorsement, and he knows me. He, he invited my school students into his office. He talked to them about the legislative process. He treated those with respect. He told the kids, you know, you came with the Democrats, your dad's a libertarian, I'm a Republican. He allowed my, my school kids that I mentor to make their own decisions. And my kids' decisions may be very different from me, and that's okay, as long as my kids have the ability to come up with their own decision after they've educated themselves. And and Delegate McClellan is not she's not gonna help, she's not helping us at all. So it doesn't matter. You 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 can't dress it up. It's still poop. You can't sugarcoat <laughs> it. You can't add salt to it. It's still poop. So why is it that everybody gets upset? Because well they're like well Corey why are you running? I'm running because it would have been a selection process. The Democratic Party would have chose the next Democrat in line, and just pawn the person off and be like, this is what you get. Maybe I don't like that. I don't want that. So I'm providing the people of my Senate district a choice. You could go in there and write your dog's name on the ballot for all I care. You should have a choice. And right now, if she's saying it's not as, it, 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 it's going to be bad, you're going to see how bad. The, the Republicans are not, they're not, they're not the Hellions. They're not the, the worst thing. We, we got to work with them. And we, we have to work together with them. She's been there long enough that she just rolls over. I mean, if she signs a bill that they want to do, what's she asking for in return? Because one hand has to wash the other. You know, if they're talking about, well, you know, this, that, and other thing, well, let's talk about a, a crime prevent, prevention bill. Let's talk about maybe walking the community and doing some type of, of community-invested, you know, programs to teach people about policing. Because it's not Henrico, Henrico County. Maybe some of those officers don't live on my block. I live here. I want to secure my block. Because we came home New Year's Eve. Man, it was like Beirut out here. Automatic gunfire. I mean, I had my kids walking the dog. I had to scream for the kids to come in the house. And, and it was, she was shooting. I think my wife called it. What she called it? Um, Iraco County. That's what she called it. <laughs> shooting automatic guns. I'm like, are you serious? And I'm saying to myself, gee, there was a celebratory gunfire build a couple years back because somebody's child got shot in Midlothian. So we have a celebratory gunfire build, but guess what? New Year's, New Year's morning at, at 12.01, it really didn't matter because they were shooting everything up. I had to sit my family in the middle of my kitchen protected by two walls because I didn't want any gunshots coming through my house. Why should I have to live like that? I didn't live like that in Brooklyn, New York. I didn't live like that in Staten Island, New York. My wife is from Newark, New Jersey. She didn't live like that either. Why did I move to Virginia and I have to be wary of gunfire, you know, auto theft? Like, are you serious? You can't be serious. And she doesn't live on my block. She lives somewhere safe, where it's safe on her block. I want you know, you know where you, do you know where do you know where Jennifer McClellan lives, Corey? She lives no, four or five. 
she lives four or five blocks from me right here in the fam. Wow. I, c- I can show you where her house is tomorrow night at, at, after the meeting if you want to see it. I mean, it's, it's, safe, it's safe in her neighborhood. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, it, it, stuff has to change, and it has to change fast. Like, we don't have any time. I think people always ask me, they're like, you're not smiling in your campaign picture. I'm like, because it's my poker face. It's too much work to be done for me to smile and lie to you. I'm, I'm telling you the honest truth. There's so much work that needs to be done. And you, you're not going to get any work done if, if you smile a lot of people. I sent emails to every elected official from Charles City to Hanover. I got one email in return. Um, one of the Richmond City Council members responded, good luck, Corey, and I asked him for an endorsement, and he said, well, I'm already endorsing her. Uh, Parker Agalesto, he's the only one. Everybody else? At Ashland people, Ashland City Hall, they were like, Corey, we don't even want to talk to you. I'm like, are you serious? You don't want to talk to me? I'm I'm writing you to ask you what the people in your district need. Matter of fact, I'm gonna just when I go door knocking at Ashland tomorrow, I'm gonna be sure to stop by City Hall. I call the mayor like six or seven times, send him six or seven emails, no responses. And these are the people that you electing to go back into office when you have somebody that's running or that's an involved community activist saying, I'd like to speak to you. Every single police agency in Central Virginia got back to me personally, the exception of Henrico County. I mean, you can't. Yeah, if you're reaching out and people are like, you know, you want to make a change. I mean, this is my community. It's not the chief of police's job. I need to help him. I need to learn what it's like. Go to the police, the Citizens Police Academy. Find out what it's like to be a police officer and what they have to go through before you start saying, well, I don't like the police. And, you know, I mean, everybody's got to change. You got to get to a point where we got to work together. Like it or not, we all have to work together. And, and like, I just feel like that's what the issue is. The issue is that we don't we don't want to work together because they want to make you guys think that the Libertarian Party is this evil cult, and you know, you know those people shouldn't get in the office. They we've never been in the office here in Virginia except for maybe a couple of smaller places. I know Tyler Brown was on uh, uh, city council for uh, a session, I believe, and um, I mean we we got to try something different. If you guys vote for a Libertarian and, and I get in the office and you don't like me. Vote me out next cycle. But I guarantee you I'm going to bring both sides of the fence together. We're going to work on the – regardless of how we feel personally, we should agree about jobs, education, and some type of health care. Everybody wants a job. Everybody wants their child to have a good education. And everybody wants to, to live a healthy life. So regardless if you're a Democrat, Republican, Tea Party, Green, or Libertarian, those are things that we should all agree on. So how can we work together so that everybody gets their liberty issue dealt with or you feel that you can live your life your way? Yeah. Well, uh, Andy and Jeff, do you have anything you want to add? 
I mentioned, I heard him mention about the BCDL, uh, Corey. I'm, I'm a member of the BCDL. I'm also a life member of the NRA. Um, I, My condolences, I, I understand. Yeah. yeah, the BCDL, they do a lot of good things, and, and I, I would, you know, say they're a worthy organization. I've been to some of their uh, events, but I do find that they don't seem to be very receptive, very receptive to third-party candidates. I've been among some of them, and I've mentioned I'm a libertarian, and you kind of get that, oh, you guys make the Democrats win type of uh, attitude. And I just wondered if you, when you met with them, did you feel as though they were treating you like that? I, I didn't. I, I really I lobbied with them last year when I took the group of public school students from Richmond. I, I told them that I appreciated the interaction because some of the VCDL members told the students about the importance of second amendment gun rights in the history. And I felt like that was a really good teachable moment for the young people because they got to ask questions and they got to really interact with folks that, you know, embrace the second amendment. And I told them that I appreciated that one teachable moment during the whole kind of day because the kids remember that even to this day. They're like, Mr. Corey, you know, we have fun at the at the uh, General Assembly and we're looking forward to going back again this year. The the group, the VCDL, I've been to several meetings. I've spoken with them several times and seen them in the community. And th- I think the thing that we talked about was how to attract more African Americans. And I said it's the same thing the Libertarian Party is doing. You have to maybe talk to people in in the community and just tell them a little bit about your organization and kind of break the ice. It's not, mm-hmm. I don't think it's impossible, but I felt like for me, the VCDL was one of the groups that I, I did think treated me with a lot of respect and even embraced the young people that I brought to lobby day in January of 2016. And again, I, I told them that I really appreciated that, those gestures, because it was a lasting lesson for the young people that came. Yeah, well, I think um, part of the problem that organizations like the VCDL have is that people from the outside look at an organization like that and say, well, it's just another arm of the Republican Party. And there has to be a way to... Uh, get these organizations away from that because I know a lot of Democrats who are Second Amendment folks. They 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 have a gun. They 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 believe in the Second Amendment, but they won't join an organization like that or support it because they say, well, all they ever do is endorse Republican candidates and they support the Republican Party. And since I'm not a Republican, I can't be a member of that group. But I don't I don't so. understand why. But I think what the the other problem is, and I shared this with the VCDL also, and Philip Van Cleef, you got to go visit. Like I think that's the the other token that folks are missing. Like when I met Rob Sarvis and James Carr in 2014, and they came to the, the crusade for voters. That that was something that was out of the ordinary. And I'm not sure why my family was the only family that felt what the Libertarian Party was offering. And I came around and I visited other Libertarian groups. The Patrick, I, I never forget, the Patrick Henry Supper Club, 
Tony and uh, uh, Tony and Donna Grievous, I always remember how happy you guys were to see me, and and I I I, I felt genuinely appreciated and happy to be there, and I felt as I was part of the family. I've always felt that way. And in order for folks to understand, like I went to a, a Republican function and sat with Ed Gillespie and um, there were a lot of African-Americans there. I was looking around the room. I was like, wow. They were like, well, you, you know, somebody was like, well, you might not want to tell them you're a libertarian. I'm like, man, listen, I'm a libertarian. That's what I'm going to tell them. And that's what I did. I got up. I said, my name is Corey Fokinier. I'm a libertarian candidate for Virginia State Senate. I'm here just to kind of network and meet you guys. They were very open. They were saying, you know, these are some of the things. African Americans for Trump. The way the media, the, the way the media sold it, no black people voted for Trump. We know that's not true. My wife voted for Trump, and, and my wife voted for Trump because um, Louis Farrakhan endorsed Trump. He has a four-hour speech. He has a four-hour speech where he talks about the last 60 years of African-American Democratic leadership and how they're selling their own people out. That's powerful. So when Louis Farrakhan said that, my wife's like, yeah, uh, I know you're going to vote for Gary Johnson, Corey, but uh, I, I, I just feel like I have to vote for Trump. And I was like, well, I understand. And we were house divided. But it, it is what it is. And she did what she thought she needed to do with her vote. But you got to investigate and talk to people. You can't just say, I'm never talking to a Republican. That's, that's not going to work because you're not going to learn anything. You're not going to – if I tell my kids, well, don't, don't talk to the, 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 the family that's from a different um, country than we are, that, that's breeding hate and, and not showing any type of love and tolerance. And we're supposed to be way beyond that, way beyond it. And it, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, folks feel that way. Andy, do you have anything you want to add? Uh, no, just uh, I wish Corey the best, and I think that uh, definitely this is the kind of race that the party needs to put uh, a bigger fundraising infrastructure behind. Um, I'm quoted in, in the newest article, in the newest uh, edition of Reason, Brian Doherty, and I said, uh, I think that in, in state legislative seats, as little as twenty to $30,000 strategically invested could win the Libertarian Party some state legislative seats. And I'm sure, Corey, you know how, how far twenty or $30,000 could go with your campaign. Um, Correct. That's, that's the kind of effort I, I do want to, I want to see the party doing uh, going forward. There's 4.5 million people out there who voted for Gary Johnson. Uh, we can get some of the 5,000 state legislative seats in the country. When is your election, Corey? The election is next Tuesday, January 10th. And uh, I definitely uh, would, would appeal to any of your listeners, you know, if you can, you know, check us out on Facebook and uh, forward any of our information to others. If you have the ability, I know the holidays have just left, if you have the ability to donate a dollar, a five dollar, you know, a dollar a week, break it up however you see fit that's affordable for you. But you know, we would love to have any type of support. And so all the volunteers that have assisted, all the folks that have sent donations, all the people that have shared, 
social media and all the media and independent media who who supported us thus far. I definitely want to say thank you. And um, regardless of what happens next week, I could tell I could say that I stood up when when the opportunity of liberty needed to be defended. And regardless of what happens next week, you know I will still continue doing the same things I've been doing in the community um, with the young people and um, with the Libertarian Party, hopefully helping other candidates raise money and awareness as well. Well, that is certainly great. Uh, Why don't you um, tell us so that our listeners can figure out how to get in touch with you, what your website is, um, uh, if you have Twitter or Facebook. um, That way they know exactly where to go if they want to help. I understand you have literature now, too, that you want passed out. Um, in the district. Oh, and one other thing, because I don't think we've really touched on this. What is the ninth district so that people know whether or not they can vote for you? Sure. The ninth district is composed of all of Charles City, Virginia, the eastern portion of Henrico, a small sliver of the city of Richmond, and Ashland and Hanover County um, on the other side of um, of town and also a little part of Glen Allen, which is on the west end of Henrico. So Charles City, uh, Charles City, eastern and part of western Henrico, a small sliver of the city of Richmond and Hanover County, which includes the city of Ashland, is the ninth district. Um, my website is Friends for Folk and Yay, and my last name is spelled F A U C O N. I-E-R. The website is friendsforfolkinye.com. My Twitter is my first name, Corey M, as in Maurice Folkinye, is my Twitter. Uh, my Facebook is uh, Corey Folkinye, so everything's mostly the same. And uh, you guys can Google search me, and the articles that have been written in the Richmond Times Dispatch come up. Uh, I do answer all my own emails. They come directly from my cell phone. And um, I do. I have been reaching out to a lot of supporters and volunteers who have added. We do have literature that needs to be handed out, and if you send us an email or you hit the website, we'll let you know where. Tomorrow I'm going to be uh, with the Patrick Henry Supper Club um, in the fan, and I will have lit to be dropped, and we'll identify some of the districts that we believe are going to be friendly to the libertarian cause. So if you guys can help us over the next couple of days, it's really going to be crummy out. And we were out in the rain today, and I'll be out in the rain tomorrow and um, doing some speaking engagements, talking to some public school kids who have invited me to come and talk up to their government classes. So if you watch the website or watch social media, we'll let you know where I am. And, you know, Joe, I definitely appreciate the ability to come back on again. Um, I appreciate all you guys do, and the independent media is very important to, to spread the word. Well, we're happy to have you on, um, and uh, we'll look forward to having you tomorrow night at the Patrick Henry Supper Club at, at dinner at 6, and the speaker, who will be Corey, at 7. So please come by the Robin Inn, 2601 Park Avenue in the fan, if you can make mm-hmm. it. Uh, thanks a lot, Corey. We enjoyed having you on, and we will get you back on soon, um, hopefully after you have won your election. Yeah, after after we make history. Yeah, that's right. If All anybody right, sir, can do it, you can do it, Corey. 
You have a good night and uh, a happy new year. Happy new year, Corey. Good luck. Take care now. Okay. Well, gentlemen, before we hang up tonight, um, does anybody have any thoughts on, uh, I know that uh, Jeffrey and I touched on this a little bit prior to Corey coming on, but uh, Andy and Jeff, do you have any thoughts about Trump thus far and what you think is going to happen on Inauguration Day on the 20th? Go ahead, Mr. Sanford. Jeffrey already spoke earlier. Oh, well, I was going to say, I predict there's going to be a bunch of whining crybaby leftists out there trying to block traffic and maybe make a bomb threat or otherwise disrupt things, you know, being bad sports. And uh, I think a lot of us are just going to be holding our breath, wondering what he's going to do. But um, I think, you know, he has backpedaled on some things you said before. But, um, you know, as Joe said, on that fateful Wednesday in November. The good news is Hillary lost. The bad news is Trump won. But he is going to be the next president, and I'm honestly the same thing I did with Obama. I didn't vote for Obama, but when he won, um, I reserved my judgment until he took office and started to do what he was going to do. And I'm going to do the same thing for Donald Trump. I hope that maybe some of the people around him can talk some sense into him and that maybe – you know, he he just might pull a rabbit out of his hat and maybe do something good. I, I, I just honestly don't know. And I'm going to reserve judgment until he's sworn in. Um, I want my country to be successful. I I think if he, if he does something right, he should take credit for it. Um, if he does something wrong, we need to hold his feet to the fire, as we do for the Republican. Uh, you know, the Republicans are going to control both chambers of Congress and the White House. So they can't complain about Obama vetoing their bills. They can't complain about Nancy Pelosi. It's time for the Republican Party to put up or shut up because the ball is in their court now. And I would have wanted to see Gary Johnson be president, but that didn't happen. So um, I'm going to just watch this with a, a jaundiced eye and see what happens. Yeah, I, I yeah. Will, uh, agree with all, all of that. I um you know, there's been a few things he's done uh, yet, like the deal with the carrier plant and a few other things that have that have merited comment. But for the most part, I don't think anybody can know what's actually going to happen until he uh, gets into office. And, you know, I mean, I think there are a few uh, areas to be optimistic on. I think we might see something positive. Uh, in terms of school choice coming out of the woman he's picked for education secretary. I think Rick Perry might do some decent things at the Department of Energy. I mean, he once said he wanted to abolish that department. We'll see if that sticks. Uh, even, even if not, there are some changes he could make that would be positive and long overdue. Um, I'm still pretty – I'm worried about um, – his conduct of foreign policy via 140 characters on Twitter. Um, I think I think that there, uh, you know, there's very good reasons that that diplomatic exchanges between heads of state typically have a bit more thought put into them than that. Um, so you know, it'll be different. That's I mean, 
for better and for worse, it will it will definitely be, I think, a very different kind of presidency from any from the you know what we've come to know post World War II, um, and you know that could be positive, could be negative. I think one possible way it could play out that would be positive long term would be if ultimately the, the power of the presidency is diminished and the primacy of Congress is is restored. And we have, you know, this. not that I'm a huge fan of Paul Ryan necessarily, but that we have the Speaker of the House um, becoming almost more like, because there was a time in the United States when it worked that way for the latter half of the 1800s when the president was uh, not that terribly powerful and there was a greater focus on Congress setting policy. Um, so, you know, that's that's slight reason for optimism. Or it could go the other way. He could be, you know, a, an imperial president on steroids. Um, it's just so hard to know yet. Yeah, it. it... You know, that's the one thing about Trump. You you just don't know because, um, like I was telling Jeffrey at the beginning of the program, over half the things he said when he was running, he's backtracked on. And Jeffrey said, well, that's good because a lot of the things he's backtracked on, we never wanted him to do in the first place. Um, But, um, you know, I could have told you from day one that he wasn't going to do anything with Hillary Clinton. Um, You know, I mean, not that he could, but just the fact that, you know, he said, oh, you'd be in jail right now if I was president. Well, we see that isn't isn't true um, because she they're they're good people and she's been through enough as it is. Uh, You know, he you know, it would be different if he had if he had come out and said, look, folks, I spoke in haste when I was running for president. I have now looked at the situation and I and I've realized that there's nothing I can really do about Hillary Clinton, but hopefully the FBI and other government agencies will take her and, and run her through the ringer properly. But he doesn't say that. He just says, not going to do anything. And his fans roll over and say, well, you know, he's taking the high road. And he's, no, he lied. He lied and about it. He can he can do some things, Joe. I mean, he's, he appoints... The Attorney General, you tell Jeff Sessions we're going to go after her. We're not going to go after her. We're going to go after the foundation. We're going to, you know, what they should do. They should say we're going to go after every elected official or bureaucrat, federally uh, appointed or elected, who's ever taken money from a foreign government and voted in their favor. If you took money, that's treason. And we're going to prosecute every one of them. That's probably hundred that we need to prosecute. And you're going to clean up the swamp if you don't prosecute these people who have taken this money from Saudi Arabia and from, you know, these, these foreign countries, China, wherever it may be, and then voted in their favor, or Russia, whoever it is. You've got to prosecute our congressmen. You want to, you want to make a congress that we need to have to get rid of every congressman that ever took a foreign government's money and then voted for them. But that, that's a <laughs> no-brainer. That's just got to happen. It's not even yeah. funny. I mean, it's serious. If they took money from Israel and then voted in favor of a bill for them, Hang them. And there's nothing against Israel. <laughs> it's against our Congress. You, you can't have a Congress that's sold out to the foreign governments. Yeah. Well, 
Well, that's how they derive their power. I guess we'll just have to wait. What's that? I said that's that's how they derive their power much of the time. Well, that's an issue that's come up with Trump himself. I mean, a lot of people have pointed out that by not divesting himself of his hotels and businesses and all the rest of it, uh, he's going to be in violation of the emoluments clause of the Constitution on day one. Um, There was a, you know, Washington Post quoted this, uh, an unnamed ambassador for some Asian country who said, well, of course I'm staying at Trump's hotel just a couple blocks from the White House. Um, how could I, you know, it would be an insult to come to Washington and not stay at his hotel. And, of course, that's, um, you know, there's a, I think that's going to be, I don't think he's un, unentangled himself from all that sort of thing. There's going to be a lot of that sort of coming up. Uh, and okay, uh, what, do, what do you think about, about the takings clause? How does the takings clause interact with that emoluments clause, Andy, because if I own property, whatever it may be, wherever it may be, and I become president, who says I have to lose my property? That, that, that That's a takings clause. You know, I mean, if the government wants to give him 10 billion cash um, or gold or diamonds, I mean, that's one thing, but if the government doesn't want to give him, you know, 10 billion in diamonds or whatever he wants, then, then how can they tell him to get rid of his property just because he won the presidency? I don't get that well, one at all. I mean, there's no legal mandate that he does so, and that's why he's not. Um, there's no law that says he has to. As for whether – I mean, the, I don't know that the takings clause would really apply to that because the Constitution itself has this emoluments clause in it that says – you can't – it doesn't necessarily say he has to get rid of any of these properties, but it says that he can't accept any payments from any foreign government, um, basically is what it says. And so if you have foreign governments that are doing business with his enterprises, his businesses, his hotels, or his, whatever else it is that he owns um, – then, yeah, I mean, that does create the situation which is forbidden by the Constitution of the president taking money, any money, including, you know, emoluments means like wages. It can include things paid for labor done, um, but it's an absolute prohibition. And I think it'll, you know, it'll mostly get muttered about and nothing will be done, but it will. I think it will inevitably lead to there's going to be some kind of corruption scandal that hits that, you know, turns out Trump had some ambassador to Turkey, you know, talking up his getting his zoning abutment in Istanbul or whatever. Like, you know, I think there's going to be, it's going to be a mess. I still, I still think Trump has the best shot of any president since Nixon of getting impeached. <laughs> well, but it's um, not a very good shot. I mean, I would say maybe maybe I'd get, you know, 10 or 20% chance, but I think that's a lot higher than any other president. Yeah, I yeah. think you're right. I mean, I think, he, I think he's put himself out there as far as, you know, his statements is, and, and what he's willing. He's taken all the risks in the world. He's he's taken on the whole establishment, and he's – He's won, but I mean, every step of the way, he's stuck his finger in somebody's eye. So yeah, he's got a lot of enemies, I'd say, and yeah, he's <laughs> he's got that. But but the question is, and my thing is, is he going to keep charging on to do some real reforms, like put some of these congressmen in prison that need to be in prison? You know what I'm saying? If he can do something, if he can start to drain the swamp for us, and I mean, I think he's going to be okay. 
But if he just backs off and tries to, oh, I won, now let me reap the spoils of war, then I think, you know, hopefully we'll be able to impeach him. Well, that's the unfortunate downside of him is he's never shown, and I don't think this is going to change, he's not terribly interested in the policy details, um, which could be good or bad depending on who he's got advising him and de facto running certain policy areas. Um but I, you know, I mean, there's that infamous story of how his son offered Kasich the vice presidential nomination and said, "You'd be in charge of foreign and domestic policy." <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think uh, you're you're right, Andy, because every you know, it's like taking one step forward and two steps back. Um, every yeah. time it looks like Trump might do something halfway decent, he comes out on Twitter the next day and like, surprise, here I am again, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and well, and people, I've had I've had Trump supporters tell me, well, you can't go by what he says on Twitter, and I'm like, well, what else do we go by then? <laughs> well, I've had I, I will give him credit for one good thing. That I mean, I'll you know reserving judgment until whether or not he actually does anything about it. But what he has said about the F thirty five is great, and I give him unqualified credit for at least saying that about what a, an absurd boondoggle it is and how it should be canceled. And I mean, the F thirty five is literally everything that's wrong with military procurement on steroids. It's a plane that doesn't work that we've wasted a trillion dollars over a couple of decades on. Um, you know, I was, in terms of him doing his thing, you know, I can't imagine any mainstream Democrat or mainstream Republican taking on the F-35 like he has. Uh, at least, you know, he's not in office yet, so he hasn't done anything yet, but he can't do anything yet, so we'll see. But just uh, just in terms of being willing to say that uh, gave me some cause for, for optimism. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Um, what about what about what he did with the um, with Air Force One, Andy? Um, I think when that he was had... kind of a sillier stunt, though. I'll tell you, Gary Johnson had mused about the same thing, so it's not. I mean, it's not a huge. It's not a huge amount of money. But at the same time, he's right. They do waste too much money on it. Uh, Gary's point was the Air Force has a fleet of executive jets that have secure communications and stuff. He could fly around on one of those just like the generals or the secretary of defense does, and and that would be fine for him. Um, So, you know, I think it's all just for show anyway. I mean, the jet he was talking about wouldn't even – be coming into service until like 2025 or so after Trump would be out of office. So he's going to have the air, same Air Force One that Obama had. It's you know, I mean, it's more of a. So it only it only, it only flies to golf courses. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, but uh, the F-35 is you know he seemed to be going along that same vein and hit upon that so. You know, they're kind of part of the same problem. Um, it is true that the Air Force was wildly overpaying uh, Boeing for these, uh, you know, kind of ultra-luxury monstrosities that we fly the president around in. 
Yeah. Well, um, uh, 2017 is, is is starting out fairly decent. Um, we had a lot of uh, celebrity deaths there right at the end, but um, hopefully that will hold off for a while. And um, good to have Corey on tonight. Glad everybody could be here. Um, better late than never. I know Jeff and Andy had stuff going on, but um, like I said, better late than never, and we'll do it again at the end of the month. So, guys, uh, happy 2017, and um, we'll talk about the inauguration when we come back on. Yes, sir. Happy New Year. Uh, hopefully right, we'll be saying right, a big, big Faux Kanye uh, win, all right. too. Yes. All right, all right guys. Excellent. See you next time. Good night. Happy New Year. Well, well, happy New Year. Mm-hmm.